Welcome to episode four of the Soldiers of the Immaculate podcast. This episode is being recorded on Friday, January 19th, 2024. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most compassionate Virgin Mary, but never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto thee, a virgin. A virgin's our mother, too. We come before thee, we stand sinful and sorrowful. Mother of the Word incarnate, despise our petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer. A lady of Fatima. Pray for us. St. Joseph. Pray for us. St. Francis and St. Pio. Pray for us. St. Alphonse Liguri. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Well, Father, over the last few episodes, we've been talking a lot about the morning offering, and I think you had some more final notes or some more notes to continue on that this time. Yeah, we just I want to continue just a little more. Last week, we talked about uh, doing after the morning offering to the Holy Trinity, we was talking about to the Blessed Mother. And I just want to been getting some good uh, uh, feedback from people, too, just uh, about how many people have gotten in touch with me telling me how this is really changing changing their whole spiritual life. And, you know, it's, it's early, but if they stick with it, they'll see the fruits because it's really important, these things. And a lot of good feedback people are getting in touch with me about how they're using the daily meditations of St. Alphonse uh, Liguri that we put up in the notes. And uh, it's people are blown away by the wisdom of that man. And, and I am constantly. And, uh, and a lot of men I've been encouraging for years that they should read at least the spiritual part of that every day to the whole family when they do the family rosary. And it's been, the feedback is just uh, phenomenal. They say they, they, they can't stop now once they started and they're very grateful that they found that. So I can t- encourage everyone to continue to use these resources that we put up there. So Mary's, uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary's role in salvation is is so important. And once again, nobody is saved without the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, the, the pro- nobody gets any grace, Protestant or whatever they, because everyone gets grace, actual graces, even if they're not part of the Catholic Church, to become part of the church so they can save their souls. But all the graces come through the hands of the Blessed Virgin. And so we went through some of the importance of that last week. And I just wanted, uh, in St. Louis de Montfort's book, which there's a link to, we always have to that, on true devotion, I truly believe, uh, like, it's it's totally inspired by the Holy Ghost. Uh, St. Louis de Montfort, it was very clear, he, he prophesied that that book, True Devotion to Mary, would be lost for 100 years. It would disappear. And guess what? It did. And a hundred years later, after he wrote it, uh, one a young brother was cleaning up in a, in a sacristy, and he went to a top shelf in a closet, covered all dust, and he found this manuscript here, or True Devotion to Mary, all covered with dust. And there, and it was the prophecy was fulfilled, and it was hid because the devil knows how important this book is, and that anyone who reads it and and it will 
really be blown away and it will change your whole life, change your spiritual life. And once again, a devotion to a true devotion to Our Lady, consecration to Our Lady is a sign of predestination. Great saints have said. And so I encourage you, I, I put this after the Bible. I'm telling you, this is definitely an inspired book by the Holy Ghost. I can't recommend it enough. And that to continue to read it over and over and over again and to put it in practice, just like you read the scriptures. And so in one in the beginning, too, he talks about Mary's part in the latter times. And I believe many others, not just me, believe we are in the latter times. That doesn't mean the world's ending right now. No, uh, <clears throat> but we are in the latter times. And he talks about that. I want to quote him from, from True Devotion. He says, the salvation of the world began through Mary and through her. It must be accomplished. So it's, it's, I'm going to repeat that. The salvation of the world began through Mary and through her. It must be accomplished. Mary scarcely appeared in the first coming of Jesus Christ so that man as yet insufficiently instructed and enlightened concerning the person of a son might not wander from the truth by becoming too strongly attached to her. And, and, and what he's, it's true in the beginning because uh, God, there were so many pagans, people were worshiping false gods, the son, and she was so beautiful, our lady, they were afraid that, they would worship her as a god, a goddess, and, and she's not God, and we don't worship Our Lady. So this is why in the beginning, Our Lady did live a hidden life, and in the beginning, she wasn't known like she is now. It says, uh, so St. Dennis in his writings, I'm, I'm quoting again, he was writing that when he, he saw her, he would have taken her for a goddess because of her incompatible, uh, comparable beauty and not his well-known grounded faith taught him otherwise. But in the second coming of Jesus Christ, Mary must be known and openly revealed by the Holy Spirit so that Jesus may be known and loved and served through her. The reasons which moved the Holy Spirit to hide his spouse during her life and to reveal but very little of us since the first preaching of the gospel exists no longer. So now that the church, in other words, St. Louis is saying, now 2,000 years of revelation, God, you know, we have a deeper understanding of the teachings of Christ. And the church has taught in many councils infallible documents. And now, we're, you know, in the end times, it's time now because God wants to exalt Our Lady. So God, he says, St. Louis, he wishes to make Mary better known in our times than the latter times, he says. because Number one, because she kept herself hidden in this world and in her great humility considered herself lower than dust, having obtained from God his apostles and evangelists the favor of being made known. The second reason is, he says, because as Mary is not only God's masterpiece of glory in heaven, but also his masterpiece of grace on earth, he wishes to be glorified and praised because of her by those living upon earth. And this is so important. Like, she is the masterpiece of God. And this is what people all times they think God loves everyone the same amount. That's nonsense. And he doesn't love anyone more than he loves Our Lady. And 
but she is his masterpiece. Say Maximilian Colby uh, talks about that. He's like, a, if you meet a great artist and he's shown you his masterpiece, he said, and you would, and you like pay no attention, and you say, "Oh, I like, uh, I like the tie you have on." He use an example like this, and 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 the, the artist says, "No, I'm showing you. This is my greatest masterpiece. Look at it. Look how beautiful it is." And this is it. She is his masterpiece, and she is free from all sin. She never committed even the slightest sin. She is so conformed to the Most Holy Trinity, totally conformed. She's one. And so God wants her, he wants us to venerate her in uh, hyperdulia above and beyond the saints because that's his, he, that's his masterpiece. And so we bring great joy to God when we do that, when we acknowledge her greatness, when we acknowledge her greatness in, in, on earth and in heaven in grace, that she is full of grace and we're, we're in need of grace. She has all the graces we need. So it's awesome. The next reason he said, since she is the dawn which precedes and discloses the son of justice, Jesus Christ, she must be known and acknowledged so that Jesus may be known and acknowledged. So in other words, when I said this before, I keep saying it again, we can't know our Lord without knowing our lady. And the great sign, remember Isaiah 7, 15, how will you know? The virgin shall be with child, the virgin. How, how can, and humanly speaking, that's impossible, and it is, but only a great miracle that God performed. Uh, he chose her to be immaculate, to be the mother of God. And this is awesome. Number four, as she was the way by which Jesus first came to us, she will again be the way by which he will come to us the second time, though not in the same manner. So Jesus cho chose her to come into the uh, to come to us through her in the world, in the incarnation as a child. But in the end, he's going to come through her again, and that's why for two thousand years we see that Our Lady has been appearing in apparitions, how tons of them. A Lady of Fatima, a Lady of Lords, a Lady of Good Success, a Lady of La Salette. We go on and on and on. A Lady of Akita. And she's preparing. She's like the John the Baptist in, in this time. She's making way, you know, you know, preparing the way for the second coming, constantly calling us to repentance, constantly calling us to do God's will and to, to flee from sin. And this is awesome that he chooses her to this. So in the latter time, she's going to become more and more stronger, more deeper, deeper presence of Our Lady is going to be shown. Number five, he says, since she is the sure means, the direct and immaculate way to Jesus and the perfect guide to him. So if you're looking for Jesus, he's saying this is, this is the perfect guide to him. He's drew Our Lady. She's the sure means, the direct way to Jesus. It is through her that souls who are to shine forth in sanctity must find him. Okay? He who finds Mary finds life. That is Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. But no one can find Mary who does not look for her. No one can look for her who does not know her. For no one seeks or desires something unknown. Mary, then, must be better known than ever for 
the deeper understanding and the greater glory of the Holy Trinity. And so, my friends, this is, uh, when I read this stuff, it fills me with joy and it gets me fired up that I want. And this is why the morning offering to Our Lady, too, you renew your consecration. You want to get to know her. You know who she is. She's the mother of God, the mother of Jesus. But you want to get to know her deeper and deeper. You want to imitate her virtues. So when you wake up in the morning and you're starting your day off like this, and she, once again, is the surest means, the direct and immaculate way to Jesus, the perfect guide to him. And you start tell Blessed Mother, please guide me to your son. I want to be one with you, therefore one with her, with him. And you can't have Jesus without Mary. You can't. It's impossible. This is awesome. And you got to pray for these things. And you want to be one of her, uh, you know, in her militia. Numbers, uh, the next point he says is these latter times, Mary must shine forth more than ever in mercy, power, and grace. In mercy to bring back and welcome loving, lovingly the poor sinners and wanderers who are to be converted and returned to the Catholic Church in power to combat the end so let's just look at that so mercy all right is to what to to love those that don't deserve to be loved our lady's role i've told you this and say it again and again because we have to keep hearing and i have to hear it her role is total mercy she's not a god jesus christ is mercy and justice but our lady's a loving mother and I find it amazing in this world, and I deal with a lot of mothers, and their son or daughter, they could be murderers, prostitutes, the most horrible junkies, alcoholics, people, murderers, everything. But they still love their children, and they don't give up on them. And they sit, and, but our lady, she's, she never gives up on anyone. She's knocking on the door of your heart constantly. If you're away from God, it's easy to go to Our Lady. You know she's never going to turn you away, and she will bring you to God. She will. And then he says in the latter times, Our Lady, he says, will shine forth in power to combat the enemies of God who will rise up menacingly to seduce and crush by promises and threats all those who oppose them. Finally, she must shine forth in grace. So let's cover that in power. So to combat the enemies of God, and they are rising up. The closer we get to the end times, my friend, the more violent Satan is getting because his nose, his time is running out. And in one of the encyclicals on the Rosary of Leo 13 talks about how the church continually grows in persecution and suffering and trials and tribulation as we get closer to the end. Because once again, this serpent and all his cohorts know that she is here and she crushes his head. And so he's going to oppose not only Our Lady, he's going to oppose those of us that are on in her army. Those of us who promote her, those of us that want to spread uh, the news, the good news about the Blessed Virgin Mary so that people could come to Christ and save their souls. We're, but, you know, they're coming after us. But Our Lady's going to be with us to protect us. Last, she said, he said, she must shine forth in grace to inspire and support the valiant soldiers and loyal servants of Jesus Christ who are fighting for his cause. 
I mean, she gives us the graces we need to be in this battle if we belong to her. We don't have to fear nothing. We don't have to fear Satan. We don't have to fear these heretics. We don't have to feel these, fear these globalists. But we're in a war, my friends. We're in the war. And we have to be with her. When we're with her, she has your back. She has, She's protecting you. She's covering you with a mantle. And so every day we know if you're doing your morning offering, say, I'm about to enter into battle as I enter into this world here. I go to work. I'm going to be a witness to the, for the Blessed Virgin, for Jesus Christ in the church. But we got to put on our armor, you know, you know put on the armor of Christ. And go notice, and, and but be confident that Our Lady is with you. When you go out in the world to bring her and Christ to the world, she is with you. Lastly, he says, Mary must become as terrible as an army in battle raid to the devil and his followers, especially in these latter times. For Satan, known that he has little time and even less now than ever to destroy souls, intensifies his efforts, and his onslaughts every day. See that? Just like Leo XIII said, he, to destroy, he wants to destroy souls. Satan intensifies his efforts and his onslaughts every day. You could see it even in the church within. He goes on, he says, he will not hesitate to stir up savage persecutions and treacherous snares for Mary's faithful servants and children, whom he finds more difficult to overcome than others. So he puts more effort into overcoming those of us that are consecrated to Our Lady, that love her, that will die for her, and he because we're it's more difficult, and he hates us because we will bow down before the Virgin that he would not acknowledge as the Queen of Heaven and Earth, and it's her who crushes his head, and she he hates it, he hates Our Lady. And that's why even at the name of Mary, he trembles and all hell trembles. But this is it. And this is, you know, in, in, in Genesis 3.15, that he strikes at the heel of Our Lady and she crushes his head. And once again, Luz de Moffitt says the heel of Our Lady is the militia of the Immaculate. Those of us consecrated, but once again, we're in a war. There may, you know, we're going to, as long as we cling to her, like St. John, he's the, the evangelist. He's the only apostle that didn't flee at, at the crucifixion. He stood there. He stood at the cross with the Blessed Virgin. And that's why, because he clinged to her. And that's what we have to do as her children, those consecrated, all right, to her. So don't be surprised when we're attacked. Don't be surprised when we're calumniated. Don't be surprised uh, uh, even when it comes from within inside the church. And that's the way the greatest assaults come from, those so-called priests, prelates and, uh, inside the church that are with Satan and not with God, and they attack us viciously. Okay? So I just want to uh, get to wrap up this at the end. It's, it's so powerful. He goes, so Louis Moffat says, so what will they be like, these servants, these slaves, these children of Mary? And I keep telling you, I believe these younger children today are the ones that he's talking about coming, coming up in the age now. Young children, newborns, all the way up to, you know, these are the ones God is, I believe, is raising these 
they're going to raise up giants. So he says, listen to this. They will be ministers of the Lord who, like a flame and fire, will enkindle everywhere the fire of divine love. They will become in Mary's powerful hands like sharp arrows which with which she will transfix her enemies. They will be as children of Levi, thoroughly purified by the fire of great tribulation and closely joined to God. They will carry the gold of love in their heart, the frankincense of prayer in their mind, and the myrrh of mortification in their body. They will bring to the poor and the lowly everywhere the sweet fragrance of Jesus, but they will bring the odor of debt to the great, the rich, the proud of this world. I go on. They will be like thunderclouds flying through the air at the slightest breath of the Holy Spirit, attached to nothing, surprised at nothing, troubled at nothing. They will shower down the rain of God's word and of eternal life. They will thunder against sin. They will storm against the world. They will strike down the devil and his followers and for life and for death. They will pierce through and through with the two-edged sword of God's word, all those against whom they are sent by Almighty God. They will be true apostles of the latter times, to whom the Lord of hosts will give eloquence and strength to work wonders and carry off glorious spurls from his enemies. They will sleep without gold or silver, and more important still, without concern in the midst of other priests, ecclesiastics, and clerics. Yet they will have the silver wings of the dove enabling them to go wherever the Holy Spirit calls them, filled as they are with the resolve to seek the glory of God and the salvation of souls. Wherever they preach, they will leave behind them nothing but the gold of love, which is the fulfillment of the whole law. Lastly, we know that they will be true disciples of Jesus Christ, imitating his poverty, his humility, his contempt of the world, and his love. They will point out the narrow way of, to God in pure truth according to the Holy Gospel and not according to the maxims of the world. Their hearts will not be troubled, nor will they show favor to anyone. They will not spear or heed any uh, or fear any man, however powerful he may be. They will have the two-edged sword of the word of God in their mouth and the blood-stained standard of the cross on their shoulders. They will carry the crucifix in their right hand and the rosary in their left and the holy names of Jesus and Mary on their hearts. The simplicity and self-sacrifice of Jesus will be re reflected in their whole behavior. So such are the great men who are to come by the will of God. Mary is to prepare them to extend his rule over the impious and unbelievers. But when and how will this come about? Only God knows for our part. We must yearn and wait for it in silence and in prayer. I have waited and waited. My friends, when you do your morning offering, if this doesn't get you pumped up, these words of St. Louis to Moffat, which I'm sure are the words of the Holy Ghost. This is, we shouldn't be inspired to be part of this, that we would want to be part of this uh, great 
servants of Our Lady in the latter times, in our times. You parents, when you do your morning offering, offer your children every day, renew your consecration of your children to the Blessed Virgin and say, please, Blessed Mother, if you choose to use my children to be one of the saints of the gladder days, please, I give, you, I give them to you totally. Do what you want with them. And we got to pray for this. And this is, this is just beautiful stuff that these saints will not give in to human respect that the priests won't worry about all these other priests and ecclesiastics, bishops that are coming against you when you know you're walking in the footsteps of Christ, when you're following the dogmas of the church, and they are not. We're not going to be worried about them. And this is awesome. So we'll stop here with the morning offering, and we'll continue next week to go on with the morning offering about uh, the morning offering after we give ourselves to Our Lady, the Holy Trinity and Our Lady, then we'll talk about, you know, our guardian angels and the saints next next week and keep going on. And we could enter now to the next part. Well, the, the, you're mentioning the, the saints of the latter times are going to be absolute giants. And it, 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 it makes me think um, it, it's, a, it's a call to me to wake up to make sure that I'm raising my kids in a, such a way that they can be called and be that they could answer that call if they are if God calls them, I mean, in, in the sense that, uh, if, if you're called to run a marathon, if you haven't been preparing for it or prepared to do it, you're not going to do a very good job of it. So the same, the saints of the latter time are going to be spiritually fit. And, uh, and it's going to start with parents like you, Max, that, and, and you, you know, you read this stuff to your children too. I mean, these kids will, I know you experience probably, they, it, it's amazing what comes out of the mouth of these babes and, and they the innocent ones, the ones that have been brought up to, to worship God, that they're praying a rosary from the little kids. And I tell parents too, always have your child from the minute they can talk, pray that they never lose their baptismal innocence and that they, they know and fulfill their vocation. These kids are going to, when you read this stuff to them, they get fired up. They get fired up. And I told this story, I'll tell it a thousand times. I I, was, I preached the sermon once on a Holy Rosary. It was the Feast of the Holy Rosary on a Sunday. And uh, a week later, this lady called me. She says, oh, I want to thank you. She goes, uh, you know, I was walking in Walmart with my son, and he's only five years old. And she said, all of a sudden, the minute we walked in, it, within a minute, he started yelling out, what you preach and he started yelling the rosary is not an option <laughs> the rosary is not an option and she said at first she was embarrassed she was going to put his, her hand over his mouth she says how can i do that he's preaching the gospel he's preaching the truth he's bringing people to these are the little ones i'm talking about they put us to shame they're not embarrassed of blessed virgin mary they're not embarrassed of god and his teachings and this is i'm telling you this i've seen more of these kids they're, they're, it's so beautiful to see them they don't have fear they it's awesome it's a great army coming, my friend. If it should get you excited, it gets me excited. If only everybody knew and loved Our Lady the way the the saints of the latter times will, and we should ourselves. Then, if that had happened, then maybe maybe hell would be empty. But um, <laughs> that's not the case. Uh, even though somebody who wears white these days in Rome is saying that. <laughs> well, that's the next part we could talk about. Is uh, just recently I read in you know. It was all over the internet, Catholic news agency I'm going to quote from. It says, when asked by interview of Fabio, Fabio Fazio, 
how he imagines hell, Pope Francis gave a short response. He says, what am I going to say? What I'm going to say is not a dogma of faith, but my own personal view. I like to think of hell as empty. I hope it is, Pope Francis said. And all I could say is, this is, is once again, do you, you, are you shocked? If you're shocked at his statement, you're a fool because the man gives us so many reasons to uh, to question him. First of all, we know in Amoris Laetitia, that blasphemous document from hell that says that uh, people in a second marriage with no annulment can receive the Eucharist and commit an adultery, which is heresy, blasphemy, straight from the vows of hell. He says in that document, which he made it a magisterial document, he said in that document that it's impossible for anyone to believe that God would let someone suffer for eternity. That's a that's a denial of hell, and, and it's sickening. It, it really is. What I'm going to say is not a dogma of faith. Yeah, what he said is not, but the opposite is a dogma that hell does exist, and that hell is a physical place, and most. Most of the saints would hold it's in the center of the earth, you know, and it's a physical place. And that, and even John Paul II, okay, he 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 had heresy too. He didn't believe hell. Hell's not a place. He said it's mainly a state of mind. These these heresies. They, why are we shocked? A state of mind. A kid in the second grade that studies the Baltimore Catechism can can refute that right away, and I've seen it happen. And they, the kid raised their hand to the teacher when she, uh, her teacher was telling us, "It's not." She said, "But Mrs. So and So, in the creed, we we pray about the resurrection of the body." And so the little little seven year old correcting her. Well, if we have a body like I have now, Mrs. Bozo, whatever you want to call her. Uh, I could touch my body. My body's in a place. Once again, these little kids got more brains uh, than than priests and and prelates. And now, or someone who calls himself, you know, he's the vicar of Christ, Pope Francis, right? Unbelievable. But uh, and once again, why are we shocked? This has been. Uh, and second of all, this man, uh, you know, why? It's easy to believe why he doesn't want to believe in hell. Very easy, because all the all the errors that he has. Every time he opens his mouth, he's spewing out heresies. Of course, he doesn't want to believe in the place of hell, because that's where you go when you hold the heresies that he holds. That's what happens if you don't if you don't deny if you don't reject them and confess before you die. And as a prelate, especially you're supposed to be the number one, the the, the vicar of Christ, and you're spreading heresies. How many people are you leading to hell? How many? And people don't realize well, what's the whole purpose of the papacy. No, it, it keeps the unity of the faith, but he's supposed to defend the faith and hand down what was handed down from Christ to the apostles and die for it. And the papal oath goes over that. He, it's beautiful when you read the papal oath. And so when the church speaks, why does the church define dogmas? Why does the church condemn heresies? So people could get to heaven. And so when heresies would come about, the church would come together, the Pope in union with the bishops, 
condemned the heresy explicitly where black and white talk this is a heresy okay and then what happens they define a dogma if it wasn't defined and 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 then they make it clear anyone who says different let him be anathema so a pope a priest a prelate is supposed to speak with clarity unambiguous unequivocal everything has to be crystal clear when it comes to salvation and what affects the salvation of souls and to say something like that is just it's it's so horrible and you i'm sure everybody heard that story when the lady uh came up to saint padre pio and said padre pio i don't believe in hell and he looked at her and said don't worry when you get there you will when you get there you will and i don't know about you but i would never have wanted padre pio to say that to me he was a great mystic one of the greatest saints that lived but it's you know i've been preaching missions now for almost 25 years as a priest and i preach missions almost all of them are always on the four last things because there's no greater med greater meditation it's the most fruitful thing to meditate all the great saints preached on it and let me tell you something the when i preach on hell the fruits are unbelievable unbelievable people come up to me all the time they said father you scared the hell out of me i said good because that was the whole purpose of this uh, of the talk why did jesus christ himself mentions hell many more times like 36 times in the in, in the gospels and heaven not a, nowhere near as much why because he wants us to be a preventive medicine you know preventive i always tell people when i preach on hell listen you know i want to be like your your guide tour you know i want to be like like when you want to go away you go to a travel agent years ago and you say hey you know, tell me about, I want to go, what's the temperature there? What kind of people are there? What kind of foods? I said, let me be your guide toward hell and let you know what, because we do know a lot. We don't know everything, but we know a lot about hell. Many saints have had visions from God. St. Teresa of Avila said that was the greatest grace she ever received, that God showed her a place in hell if she didn't straighten out. So this is, and 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 you look, our lady. She comes to Fatima when I do the missions. People tell me, uh, Father, I have like young four or five year olds. Should I bring them to the to the mission? I said, Yeah. I said, Mother knows best. When she opened her hands in the third vision, little Jacinta was six years old. She saw hell. They were terrified. That's why their faces. We didn't know what it was. People, we saw pictures. Their faces were all distorted, and they couldn't tell what it was. It was one of the secrets at first. And that's what it was. They saw hell. They saw souls falling into hell like leaves falling off a tree in the fall. How horrible it is. And so when Jacinta and Francesco and Lucia, when they saw hell, they were just totally absorbed because our ladies, are you willing to suffer for souls? Are you willing to, to stop souls from going and burning in hell? And they were. So they did all kinds of unbelievable penances. It would get so hot in Portugal when they would take their sheep out up in the mountains and they wouldn't even drink one drop of water to say, let's offer it up for souls. When they would, they would, their parents would give them a little food for lunch and all the, some kids in where they lived weren't as fortunate to have, uh, they were very poor, the people. And they knew that those, the three of them would give their lunch away because they would go without food. And they were very joyful children, but they, they, they were obsessed after they saw hell. 
So yes, you you know, and here's the vicar of Christ. He doesn't talk about why you sh- why you don't want to go to hell. He doesn't talk about that it is a dogma that if you deny, why you want to talk about something that you know is is a hundred percent infallible. And, and and act like it doesn't exist. Act like you don't have to worry about it. And then you wonder why they, they come out with this diabolical document for Duccia's supplicants. Unbelievable. Well, hell might be packed to the rafters, but I, I would imagine before too much longer someplace that's going to be, they're all going to be empty as uh, places where the traditional Catholic mass is held, or at least used to be held. Um, priests are getting... Well, I was going to say deplatform, but I guess the, the the more vogue term is canceled. Well, yeah, you know, welcome to the uh, welcome to our times. Uh, and what you're talking about is recently the Covington bishop he stripped two traditional priests of, of faculties for opposing supposedly opposing the new mass, and uh, it's a it's a disgrace, you know, that these prelates uh, the, the traditional mass saying, you know, they're stripped of their privilege for offering the mass because they criticized the new. Now, I don't I don't know all the details if they did or if they didn't. Uh, I don't know if you know what they said, Max. But I, I didn't get in read that, but I could tell you this that this is the problem with the Novus Ordo Church. The Novus Ordo Church, it's a different religion. It's a different religion. And, and it's a counterfeit church. I'm sorry. This is what's going on in our time. I, I've been through so much. I could tell you around 20 years ago, I was offering just a traditional mass, and I was trying to find a bishop that would let me live my Franciscan life. And I, and I wrote a whole bunch of letters. So most of the bishops wouldn't even answer you back me back. And then the few that did and I met, it was always disappointing. And so I went to this one bishop. I no need to say his name. It doesn't matter. I don't even know if he's alive. And, but anyway, so we talked. You know, I had to spend money. I had to get on a plane. Money, I don't have, you know, I had no money. But, you know, I begged money. I got money to go and I went. Had to get a hotel. I'd do this. Had to get. And he, so we talked for like a few minutes and he looked at me. He goes, Isaac, I really like you. He goes, I could see that you're very sincere and I could see you have a lot of zeal for souls. And uh, he goes, I thank you. And I said, uh, he goes, but I want to save you time. I said, and I'm looking at him, what, what's going on here? He goes, I want to I wanna tell you something so that you don't waste your time no more. I said, yeah, what is that, Your Excellency? Very nice man. <laughs> Very nice man. <laughs> but it takes more than being nice than to get to, get to heaven and just being nice. You know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, they say. So he goes, Father Isaac, uh, I want to tell you that we U.S. bishops, and this is his exact words, we made a, uh, we all have made an agreement together that we will not accept any priest like yourself to offer the Trinity Mass in our diocese outside the Fraternity of St. Peter and the Institute of Christ the King, Ecclesia Dei communities. Because I'm telling you, because I don't, I, I see you're a good man. I don't want you wasting your time and money. It ain't going to happen. Whoa, man. Right? And I, I always suspected that. I, I, a close priest friend of mine, older, I used to say, I think they made a pact. I really do. Like they have an agreement. And sure enough, it was confirmed, and you could—you don't have to believe what I'm saying, but I know it's true, and God knows it's true. And 
And I wanted to say, well, why didn't you tell me that before I had to spend uh, five, six hundred dollars coming here, you know? <laughs> and uh, but guess what? He was right. Turned down, turned down, left and right, turned down. They don't want to hear it. I had I I was offered once in California. I I was going to be a chaplain for a prison, and it was unbelievable, right? So they didn't have a. They had men on death row there, death row. Uh, you know, excuse me, life is not uh, not death penalty, but they were life is. They have, some of them, they haven't seen a priest in 15 years, I was told. So I've had prison ministry uh, experience too. And they, I, I could have had it. It was a job and the state would have paid at that time. And this is, this is around 20 years ago too. It was 60000 a year, which I, I didn't care about money. But with full benefits, retirement, I would have I did, no no strain on the bishop, and when the bishop found uh, you know, and I told him I do the old mass, he said, oh, "I'm sorry, man." He was excited, you know, he's going to take me, and uh, I was going to be this chaplain, full time chaplain. And I said, "Hey, I don't mind spending the rest of my life helping prisoners get to heaven, and there's you know no doors opening." And because I offered the new mass, he had some nun yelling at me on the phone. <laughs> and I couldn't, I, I wasn't shocked at all. So that's constantly happened, happened. Then finally, eventually, I had a bishop that did accept me and to start a Franciscan group. And I had an indulted departure. And, but he betrayed me, you know, and uh, <laughs> he, he told me, you know, I could, and it all started. He knew he accepted me where he knew ex I would only exclusively offer the old right. It was all in writing and everything, exclusively all right, the old office. And he shook my hand, everything said, oh, you're in. And then when the intel came, I had to meet with him. And then the, before I even started there, he said to me, at the end of our talk, everything is all right. He goes, oh, by the way, you will do the new mass when I tell you to. And he got all red in his face, and he tried to intimidate me and bully me. And I said to him, excuse me, Your Excellency, I'm going to hold to our original deal. It's all in writing. I said, I'm black and white. You don't have to figure out what I'm thinking. I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking. I'm a straight-up man. I believe in the gospel. I, I believe what Jesus Christ said. Let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. So I want to be perfectly clear with you, Your Excellency. I will never offer the Nova Soto Mass. Do what you want with me. Send me back to Rome, my order, whatever. Uh, that's your prerogative, but I'm not doing it. You understand? And that was the deal, and you shook my hand on that. So he looked at me after he tried to bully me, and he said, ah, come here. He gave me a hug, and he says, don't worry about it. But guess what happened? So I had I had five-year indult over there, period, and so I had a lot of men that want to join me. And so I, I had to meet with him. I said, uh, you know, where can I send this? He wanted me to send him to uh, a seminary that was heretical, and it was filled with homos. I said, I'm not doing it, Your Excellency. And he was really mad. So I couldn't take men. And as time went on, he put pressure on me. And then, uh, you know, finally he called me in after three and a half years. And he said to me, uh, listen, I, I, want, I want to talk to you. I want, you know, I'm very fond of you. And I said, oh, really? And uh, I'm looking at him. He thought, and he must have made a face because he says, no, I'm serious. He goes, I figured out what was going on here. He goes, you know, since you've been here, a lot of people thought they were 
living holy lives, but after you're preaching, you convicted them, and it caused a lot of problems. I only did one mission in his diocese, and uh, the phone in the chancery was off the hook for a, a month, and they wanted, I was accused of 16 heresies. It was hilarious. The priest was going, he was so nervous. And I said, oh, let me hear the heresies. So it was a woman that was, she was, uh, had, she had a lot of money. So she gave a lot of donations. So, and the heresies, you know, it went something like this. I said, oh, number one, that was not my heresy. That was St. John Vianney's heresy. I'll give you the quote. Number two, uh, that was the Council of Trent. Number three, I didn't say that. She totally misquoted me. Number four, well, she only she left half the half of it out. You know, this is how it went to six all sixteen so-called heresies. And so he told me he realized that I was good. And so he told me when my when the people and the priests come to complain about you, I tell them, I want you to know what I tell them. I said, How, what? He goes, well, every bishop has a, a Judas in his life, but very few have the John Baptist in their life. And Isaac is my John the Baptist. And before God, I had an interlocution. I heard in my head so loud, and you will be my Herod. You will be my Herod. And you know what Herod did to John the Baptist, right? And so what? He ended up becoming my Herod. And then he wanted me to send, he told me I could send men to a traditional seminary. And it finally, and then right after that, he wanted me to do the new mass again. I said, how many times am I going to tell you? I'm not doing it. And eventually what happened, he called me in at the end of the five-year probation. He goes, if you want to stay here, you have to do the new mass. I said, we have to do the new mass. I said, how many times are we going to go through this? I said, you're acting like I'm I, I'm committing some kind of crime. I said, you know, when is a priest like me going to even get a crumb from the table? The only thing I'm guilty of, and you you even admitted, is I preached the fullness of the gospel and, and all the dogmas of the church. I said, if I told him that day, I said, you're actually, if I was gay and a heretic, this wouldn't be happening. And he didn't answer me <laughs> because it was true. And so, you know, I feel, you know, these two priests, they had a nice little run, eight years. They're fortunate they had eight years of run. But you know what? I should be honored that they could suffer for the gospel and, and, and be, have their heads taken. Until we shed our blood, we have nothing to complain about, none of us. But this is where people are going to have to wake up and say, what's going on? Where are the true shepherds? Where are they? And why, why do they want only the Ecclesia Dei communities like Fraternity of St. Peter, Institute of Christ the King? I'm going to tell you why. Because they got gag orders, all right? They don't preach the fullness of the gospel because they'll have their heads taken, because they take collections for the Catholic Campaign of Human Development that we all know money goes towards abortion, contraception, and all the communist uh, uh Groups like Acorn and all, I go on and on and on and on. That's what they do, those boys. So that's why, you know, you can't join those groups because you're going to be compromised. And the gospel, we should, nobody should have a muzzle on their mouth when it comes to the gospel, preaching that there is hell and that if you don't follow God's way, you're going to go there. Preaching, any, uh, preaching about the, the vaccinations, what a disgrace that was. Because they knew the crazy day communities would shut down their churches. And that's what they did. And denied the people the Eucharist, baptism, anointing, and everything else. Shame on them. Shame on them.
But my friends, you know, this is what the end times are all about. And God's going to raise up great saints. We got to realize, too, people don't want to admit that there's a state of necessity in the church. All right? There is a state of necessity. And we have to live the faith as it was always taught and it was always lived for 2,000 years. Not for the last 60 years, loaded with heresies, modernism. Uh, I could go on and on, my friends. And I said, and let me tell you something. It's been very painful being a priest. Very painful. But you know what? I thank God because they say hindsight's the best vision. I put my head on the pillow. I know I haven't betrayed Christ. And I realized the, the farther I go on in my priesthood, I'm coming up on 25 years. It's an honor to be calumniated. It's an honor to be uh, ostracized, marginalized, to be so-called canceled. You know what? That's nonsense. The only one who can cancel me is God. And they could do whatever they want. But you know what? We're obliged to give the people the faith. We're obliged to offer the sacrifice to the mass that's pleasing to God. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. I cannot add to that because I, I don't have any firsthand experience on that. Um, in terms of what, what, um, <laughs> what, whether the, the traditional groups have muzzle orders, I have gag orders. I have no idea. Um, they're silent on some, some issues that, and, and, you know, well, more, if they give that, a sermon against uh, a preaching against a, bishop who's a heretic even if it's their own bishop or as we see now pope francis now, i don't know what the i don't know supposedly there's a tape out on the on the sermon that they were but the bishop in his letter i read it said that he has tried to correct them time and time again i guess they're not taking the corrections and if they're not it's probably because it's not catholic the correction i'm just uh, you know that i i i knew these two men and, you know, I could tell you this, their doctrine was always solid, you know. I've, I've met them both many times. Uh, they've, I've attended their, their Lenten missions two or three times. Right. Both, both very solid priests, yes. And yeah, so, so when solid priests like that uh, get their heads taken, like, you know, like mine was and continues to be, uh, this is, it's a sign you would God, believe me, it's an honor. It, it, it hurts, though. It's painful. And what's sad is, you know, they had a flourishing parish now that's, uh, you know, the he's shutting it down. He says he's looking for another venue because their corporation, their 501c3, the group uh, owns the church. Thank God they own it. Why should they give it to them, to the diocese? So, <laughs> you know, so. And, and people better wake up. No bishop has a right to take the Trinitine Mass away from you. No bishop, no pope has a right. Sorry. So we got to wake up. Wake up, my friends. And you got to start studying. And, and like I said, we're in a state of necessity. One of the conditions is that we have no recourse to a higher authority. What recourse do we have to go to Cardinal Fernandez? Give me a break. You know, but priests, we got to provide for the people too in this state of necessity, state of emergency. We can't turn down the sacraments to them. And I hope Father Sean and Father Collins keeps on going in their church that they can't be thrown out of. It will definitely be interesting to see. Um, well, 
I doubt it. I doubt it will happen, but I hope they do and realize that those flocks, they were he, they, God put them as shepherds over those people, and they got to continue to shepherd them and get them to heaven. I don't know them well enough to know whether or not they would do that. But like I said, that it would be interesting to see. And I guess I'm saying that from my own perspective, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see what happens going forward. Well, listen, and this is what's said in our times. It's tough because the faithful, the faithful priests and so forth, they'll be called the schismatics, heretics, and everything else outside the church. We already are. Yeah. I mean, but this is what's happened. And this is, and this is all in the prophecies, uh, the great prophecies. And the apostasy will happen from the top down. You know, uh, it's study La Salette, study all of them. A lady of good success. You know, it's it, and 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 all these prelates in the United States. It's it's unbelievable how no none of them, only a couple, have spoken out against this demonic document, Fiducia uh, Supplicant. Where are they? Vo- and guess what? They're guilty. They're guilty if you don't speak out. Every priest that doesn't speak out, you're guilty of you're you're in you're in cahoots with these people. You know the old saying: "All it takes for evil to triumph is good men to remain silent." But priests have an obligation. Bishops forget about it. Super obligation to preach the truth, to die for it, to lay down. We have to be on the watchtower like the prophets. Uh, you know, yelling out watch you know helping people get to heaven watch uh, you know and it's easy to be led astray you know if you're not living grace and you see this man pope francis saying it's all right to be a basically or he never condemns homosexuality he never says they shouldn't do it you never hear him say anything about go and sin no more repent never i mean it's non-stop it hasn't stopped for 10 years already Unbelievable. Should we go into some questions then? Yeah, if we have, you know, I'm sure we have some time, right? Yeah, we've got some time. Um, we still have, let's see, at the moment, six questions left over from from last week, and we have some new ones as well. I think going forward, and we'll figure this out as we as we go. But I think what we're going to do is, or what I suggest is, we'll we'll take a couple from the backlog, and then a couple from the, the new ones that came in. Uh, I don't want to discourage anyone from uh, putting in, sending in questions simply because uh, there's like a two or three backlog on questions. Yeah, but, and then one, and and then if your question's not going to be answered, it's probably because it's been answered already. We can't keep going over the same questions. Yeah, right, right. Uh, and uh, actually, two of them I'm going to roll them into one. Um, it's how, the question is how does one find a good priest to be their spiritual director? And the second one, very similar to it, is it okay to have a spiritual director from the SSPX? Yeah, good questions, uh, because it says in the scriptures, only a fool guides himself. And so always when I preach, I say, how many fools do I have here? <laughs> Don't raise your hand, please. But uh, it's true. You know, normally speaking, that's the way to go. If you're serious, only if you're serious about the spiritual life, only if you want to become a saint, then I would recommend you get a director. But it's better to have no director than a bad director. And so this is a problem. Even Teresa of Avila had this problem when she was alive, you know. And uh, so you you got to, number one, you consecrate yourself to Our Lady and beg her if she wants you to have a director that she'll lead you to to one. And uh, and it may it will make a big difference. But you better make sure that this, you know, 
this guy, this priest is faithful. I don't recommend it having lay people. I mean, today they have nuns as spiritual directors, lay people that are in charge of parishes. This is this is this is this is all planned to destroy the church. But you want a priest that has zeal for souls, a priest that knows his 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 faith, that knows the dogmas of the church, but has a grasp of spiritual theology too. And uh, and let me. I know diocesan priests, they tell me, man, they had no spiritual theology at all uh, in the seminary. It was never stressed. Many of them. I know old timers that even say that. And, uh, you know, so you you pray for one. But if you can't find one, the next best thing is just devour the books on the saints. Okay? Devour them. And, uh, and read them. And then God will, you know, God will guide you, you know. And I know I'm not, we're not Protestants. We don't believe that, you know, constantly, oh, the Holy Spirit's telling me this, that. But, but if you're serious and you're praying to Our Lady for one, and, and you've got to go to the right places too. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. And most priests today, they don't even want to give people spiritual direction. They don't, you know, they want to golf. They want to do whatever they, and those are the ones you don't want anyway, you know? And uh, so that's the first thing. Uh, pray for it. Make sure the person, the priest is serious. And you could tell uh, if he is. And then when you enter into spiritual direction, you got to be ready to, uh, are you going to be obedient? I mean, you don't you don't want a spiritual director who's going to tell you when to blow your nose and things like that. Every what to do every moment, but one with the spiritual life. But you should, if you're not going to take its counsel, then there's no sense of having. And if the years of being a priest, I could tell when people that say they want director, and if they're not serious, you could you could tell quick the priest just will cut you loose quick because he's responsible for your soul. So those that's for that. As far as society pious the tent, I have no problem with if, if you can find a priest in the society pious tent that it wants to give you spiritual direction. Uh, I think part of the question was this person was advised by a redemptorist priest that you don't want to go with them because they're like the Greek schismatics. And that's just nonsense. They're not schismatics. The church has even clarified that many, many times. Matter of fact, Cardinal Holios, I remember when he was in charge of Ecclesia Day, he said at least 14 times, he's, but he used some crazy, uh, the language wasn't good, solid. The eye. He says, well, the society's in the church. It's like they're in the boat, but they're not. They're not in the heart of the, the center of the boat. Oh, what do you mean? As long as as long as I you're in the Noah's Ark, you didn't drown. You know, you saved your soul. You know, so uh, but just make sure, you know, once again that the priest is just because he's in the society, it doesn't mean he's going to be a good spiritual director. You know, one of the other questions: Our priest typically only gives three Hail Marys or, or three Our Fathers as penance for confession. When confessing mortal sins, is that sufficient, or should I add additional penance? Well, it's a great question, and no, it's not sufficient because when you when you do a, a commit a mortal sin, say you should get a, something equivalent to a rosary, stations of the cross, and the the penance is to fit the crime that you you know the sins that you committed. So if you committed a slight venial sin, you don't. You don't want to give the person the rosary, you know. You want to give them something else. But this three Hail Mary nonsense is—it's it, a sign you better go to another confessor. I'll tell you that right now. 
and many people have come to me scandalized because they don't. But you have a you could say to priest, can you give me more? Now a good priest that uh, Saint Alphonse teaches that when somebody comes to confession, sometimes say habitual sinner that's been away from the confessional for twenty five years, thirty years. Uh, you can't give them enough penance, basically, especially if they lived a wicked life and committing wicked mortal sins for a whole 20. He goes, so what do you do? He goes, first, you give them a penance and you question them, say, can you handle this? Because they have to do the penance. If they can't, what good is it? Or if they may not know what you're doing, you so you you a good priest will say to somebody like that, can you handle that penance I'm giving you? And I say, okay, so, but he also recommends a twofold penance. What does that mean? Twofold is like part A is mandatory. So I, I, I find out what the person can handle and I get I say, Can you do that? No problem. Yes, Father. Okay, but now there's part two. Part two is not mandatory for you, you know, you, your absolution is gonna count and all that, but highly recommended. And then I'll tell them, you know, I recommend you do this, this too maybe for another week or two weeks, you know, and, you know, whatever it may be, you know, because I like to give uh, penances too that's going to help uproot the vice, and that's what we have to decide, what kind of vice you have. And uh, I want to give you a prescription because uh, one of the things St. Alphonse says is the there's four qualities of a confessor, and one of them is a, he's a doctor, a doctor of the soul. And when you go to a doctor, what does he do? He diagnoses your disease. The, the priest confesses you diagnose your prominent vice and it's pretty easy to do and uh and then give you prescription medication to uproot that vice and so that and then saint alphonse says would would say these really wicked sinners that come we should be rejoicing when a wicked sinner like that comes into confessional we never yell at a penitent the only times saint alphonse would say you have to get tough is if they mock the sacrament in the church and something. I've, I've only had that, believe it or not, maybe two times in 25 years. Somebody actually came in and they started mocking the sacrament of confession and were using foul language and everything. That only happened twice in 25 years. And I, I used to hear confessions 12, 16 hours a day when I was doing the mission steady. So, uh, yeah, it's, and it's a beautiful thing when he's uh, said. But he tells the priest then, if he gives him that twofold penance, that he should do penance for that particular soul now, whether it's scourging himself or whatever. But that it's up to the priest to do what he knows they can't do. That's a heavy responsibility for us priests. But to the question is, if if in a situation where somebody is is confessing mortal sins and they're only given three Hail Marys or three Our Fathers, yeah, the 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 absolution is still valid. So there's no there's no need for scruples. There's no need for it's still valid, and I do recommend say and but what's going to happen when you request more penance? Most of the time, from what people tell me, is the priest gets very angry and will draw them out of confessional and tell them they're too scrupulous or this or that. That's the most common reaction. That doesn't mean it happens all the time. Sometimes a priest will 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 do it, but a good confessor is gonna, you know, wouldn't do that, you know. 
And this this is the thing too. Not only pray for a spiritual director, but you should pray to a lady to find a steady confessor. You will make so much progress in the spiritual life if you have a steady confessor. But once again, he's got to be good. He's got to he's got to have zeal. He has to have knowledge. He has to know when to delay absolution, when to deny absolution, and counsel. You know. But you, if, you when you get a steady confessor, it was one of the greatest things that happened to me when I had my con uh, when I came back to the church after 17 years being away. And uh, I begged our lady to show me, pick one, and she did. And it was it was a great help, great help. Okay, so one last question. My sister-in-law is dying of cancer. My brother and she are Catholic but got married in the Lutheran church because my brother had been previously divorced. Um, they, they, go to, they raise their children Catholic, they go to Mass, but they never receive the Eucharist. To be in a state of grace before her death, what does she need to do? Oh, I'm sure Pope Francis would say nothing. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but it, it, you know, there's no hell. Don't worry about it. You, well, this is really serious, my friends. It's a serious question, and it's very sad too, because they were Catholics, and even if they weren't, they Lutherans. You can't die outside the church. If you die outside the church, you go to hell. Simple as it's 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 a dogma. It's denied. It's the most denied dogma of all, in my opinion. And it's, I've been preaching on this subject a lot for my 25 years as a priest. And so these two people were Catholics, so they knew better too. And they're going to, if she's dying, is the woman dying or a man, whichever one it was, the only way they could get to heaven is she, they're Catholic. They need a priest to come there and to give them a, a, a confession. And, and get absolved and, and have a memory of life. And their marriage is not valid. It's not valid. And then, uh, you know, so they would have to agree to separate and that they, they, they would acknowledge that the marital bond does not exist. And they're not married. They've been committing adultery all their years. And then it comes down to that, you know, they left the church. They, I don't know if they apostatized, but they left the church and they have to, repent of that and and back in at that moment once if they made a good confession and if they don't have a priest there to do that the only way they could get into heaven is first of all they have to they can't have no fear of going to hell they have to have a perfect love perfect contrition we would say which would wipe away all their sins and the saints say it's very rare and oh, god does it but we don't know who he does it to you don't want to wait till you're on your deathbed to be in that position and so they would have to make a perfect act of love that they love god so much they don't want to offend him not because they're afraid of going to hell because they solely don't want to offend him they love him so much and if they do that uh, it unites it will wipe all their sins away and and they'll be safe. She, that person could be saved, but I wouldn't want to risk my salvation on that. I will really wouldn't. And uh, you know, so hopefully somebody would offer them, like offer to bring a priest to them. Otherwise, it's it's like shooting dice. You know, you may win, you may, but to, to, you know, Saint Alphonse says, "As you live, so you will die." A tree falls in a forest in the direction it leans. If it's leaned to the right, it can't fall when it rots to the left. It's going to fall to the right. If it leans to the left, the same thing. So, you know, when you see deathbed conversion, that's because there was 
most likely guarantee some soul in the family or somebody that loved them and been praying for their conversion, like blessed uh, Augustine Cohen, you know, what a story that is. And a uh, beautiful story. So it's possible that they can be saved, but the best way is to have a, but if a say priest comes to them and they, they don't want the priest to rec they're not going to save their soul. They would have to make perfect act of love, but, are they disposed? Are they really? Are they willing to admit that they entered a false religion and they have to reconcile to, to save their soul? Are they willing to admit that their marriage was invalid and is not married in God's eyes? Yeah, that's tough. I hope so for their sake. But if you're to be a good sister-in-law, I would bring a priest there. But that's another thing. Try to get one that will go into it. I've done things like that. I say, oh, sure, I'll help you. I'm I'm willing to go to uh, a Lutheran's deathbed, a Muslim's deathbed, a Jew's deathbed, and try to try to bring him into the church. So prayer and penance. Those are the where to start. Once again, what Our Lady of Fatima say: uh, most souls go to hell because no one will pray or do penance. And this is why it's important. Like these little angels that are being raised up to be part of our ladies militia that are going to be these great warriors they're not going to be embarrassed to preach the truth they're not going to be embarrassed to uh tell someone if you don't convert you're going to hell they're not and they're going to that's true love my friends that's true love true love ain't telling someone well i hope no you know, personally, I, I hope hell is empty. Well, we know that's a lie. Hell is not empty. We know Jesus Christ said himself, God himself said the road to perdition is wide and easy. Many, many go that way. but The road to eternal life is narrow, few. And when you read sermons like from the great St. Leonard of Port Maurice, where the number of those saved, you got to have to, it was, Put the fear of God in you. And just look around us, my friends. Look around us. You think these people are just skating their way into heaven? They dress like prostitutes. They, they, they you know, the transvestites, they this, that, practicing unnatural vices. There's no morals no more. How are they going to heaven? St. Paul says, faith comes by hearing. The word of God, it says in the scripture, goes out but never comes back void. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. I've seen some unbelievable conversions as a mission preacher, preaching the four last things, debt, judgment, heaven, hell, conversions. Even Satanists have been converted when I've done the four last things. Satanists, Protestants, all kinds of people. Because it's not my word, it's God's word, and I'm not embarrassed to preach it. And I'm willing to pay the price. These little ones coming up are going to put me to shame, that's for sure. I welcome them. I welcome them. I think we can do two more real quick questions, I think because the first one's pretty much a, a yes-no question. Uh, when you go to uh, adore Jesus in, in the Blessed Sacrament at, at an Adoration Chapel, is it a sin to leave if nobody else is there to um, continue adoration? Can you can you leave 
our Lord alone, basically, is the question. Well, Karen is never supposed to be left alone, our Lord. And this is what's wrong with some of these adoration chapels. Most of them, you know, people come in. The other thing is our Lord has been stolen from many of them where, uh, you know, Satanists come and they steal the host because they want black masses. And in the black mass, it's disgusting. I wonder what they do to our Lord. And, and you know, so some people will say, well, no, it's all the mass is invalid, but uh, I don't believe that. I believe they're valid as long as the priest is using valid matter in proper form and his intention is correct. Uh, but why would they want to steal the Eucharist? If it's, and, and they say real witch can tell if you give them a doubt – if you have 999 unconsecrated hosts and one host in, in say, uh, suburb, they could pick out the host that's consecrated, a real witch or a real warlock. But no, so no, that you should, it'd be great. But the bottom line is a chapel that that happens, it happens all the time. It's sad. It's, it should, our Lord should never be left alone like that. No. But it would not be a sin. If they if you can't stay there and somebody else didn't show up, you know what I say: try to stay as long as you could. You know, I mean, it's 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 not these places are not good. I mean, I've heard all kinds of adoration chapels. I've heard where they have lazy boy chairs in them. You walk, you see that, you walk out. Don't don't be a part of that nonsense. You know, and uh, unfortunately, most of these chapels, the, the women are coming in. And I hear story. Uh, in modestly dressed before our Lord too. Uh, you don't want to be, you know, be careful. Yeah. I know I may, you know, you may have to leave, but you should then go to the pastor, go knock on the rectory door. And how many people are going to do this? They should then. You have to leave, go to the rectory and say, Father, there's nobody uh, worshiping our Lord. I just want to inform you so you could so you could repose our Lord and hopefully he won't hit you over the head. And hopefully the answer is, isn't to go take care of that yourself. Yes, which a lot of times it is, you know. Did, I've heard of chapels where you know, they have our Lord in, encased in like behind plexiglass, which is where they can't get to it, no one, and then they'll have a curtain they'll have they tell the person i've heard this from people and they'll say pull the curtain you know and then our lord's not exposed but uh it's a shame because there's nothing uh it's so awesome sitting in front of the blessed sacrament you you're in the presence physical presence of god himself and he will let his presence be known and uh it's beautiful way to pray it's so much easier to pray in front of the blessed sacrament if you have questions that you'd like answered on the podcast, please send those to podcast at SOTI.blog. And I promise I will stop changing the email address and domain going forward. Uh, that was the other thing I was talking to Father before we started recording. I'm setting up uh, SOTI.blog because it's way easier to spell than Soldiers of the Immaculate. Uh, Father can tell you that I goofed up. Uh, the, the registration of the domain name twice because I couldn't spell that correctly. So it's, it's partly for me and, and partly it's just, you know, if you can sound out the words, SOTI.blog. And also just the, the, the nature of a blog, it's easier to see when something is updated. There have been, um, Father, you said there was some feedback that people were trying to figure out how to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform it is. One of the nice things about uh, the blog format is that the uh, 
the video version, which there's, it's just the static image of, of the soldiers, of the immaculate that's going to be embedded in the blog post. So if you're the kind of person who likes to stay on a web page and listen to uh, audio there, uh, that'll be easy to do that way. If you use a podcast app, no problems. It's going to keep working just as it has all, all along. And if you have any tactical questions along those lines, just send an email to podcast at SOTI.blog and I'll answer the technical questions. Oh, good. And I like to thank everyone for all their support, all the prayers. That's, that's really important and any financial support we appreciate. And uh, anything else, Max? No, that's it. All right, you could bow your head for God's blessing. Pax e benedictio de omnipotente, Padre, Filio, Spiritus, and Descendus, Super, Vos, Aminet, Semper, Amen. And please pray for all those priests out there that are, are really trying to be faithful to the true church, to the doctrines. We appreciate it. God bless you.